Hey guys, Jeff here from BestTechie.com, and this is Techie Bytes episode 42. Today I'm speaking with Apu Gupta, CEO at Curly, a social commerce company that turns any image or video into a storefront for brands like Whole Foods, Nordstrom, and Crate and Barrel. We discuss how Curly was born out of the ashes of a failed startup, the best ways to leverage influencers, the editorialization of e-commerce, and more. Enjoy. This podcast is supported by Wix.com. With Wix, you can create your own professional website. Choose a template you love or start from scratch, drag and drop to customize anything, and use advanced design features like video backgrounds and image galleries. You can even add professional business solutions like an online store, booking system, or blog. I've personally tested and reviewed Wix on Best Techie and can say without a doubt that Wix is extremely easy to use and a great choice for both novice and advanced users. So go ahead, try it yourself. Go to Wix.com and create your own website today. That's Wix, W-I-X.com. I'm here with Apu Gupta, the CEO of Curulate, a social commerce company that's really done some amazing things with analytics and you can turn any image uh, on, on different networks into or videos into a storefront. You guys, uh, uh, Pooh, you guys have like, what, over a thousand customers at this point? Yeah, Jeff, hey, thanks for, first of all, thanks for having me on the show. Uh, yeah, Curulate, uh, we, we've been really fortunate to, to uh, work with some of the most recognized brands and retailers on the planet. Um, we're actually working with uh, close to 1,200 brands and retailers now um, and, and doing some really great work with them. Nice. G- give, us, give, us, give us some of the ones, like I, 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 I saw you guys work with Whole Foods, Nordstrom, Crate and Barrel. A uh, number of really big brands here. Like, um, what you know? What do what do you guys do? Because one of the questions I like to start with, obviously, is like, what do you guys? What do you guys? Or what do you do on a day to day basis um, at Curulate? And and um, and obviously, you're the CEO there. But how did you know? Who are you? You know, give us some insight in terms of how you operate. Yeah. So you know. Curulate itself, you know, at a, at a really high level, we enable brands and retailers to use social media to sell more effectively online. So we, we tend to work with, with companies that um, have an e-commerce component to them and have a social media presence. You know, essentially, if you invest in content and you sell online, we can probably help you sell more. Um, and, and so, as I mentioned, you know, we work with about, you know, close to 1,200 brands and retailers. We're, we're generating hundreds of millions of dollars of sales. Uh, you know, for them, um, and you know, just doing some really great stuff with them. In, ter- in terms of myself, you know, like, you know, as you mentioned, I'm the co-founder and CEO. Um, it, it's kind of hard to describe a day to day. You know, I think I think most. You know, it's men- always the toughest question in the podcast. After yeah. this, it seems to roll really smooth all the time. <laughs> Most founder CEOs kind of have the same, you know, the same, probably the same conclusion that there isn't really a day to day. You try to get some structure in your day just to, to you know, make it through um, uh, and try to minimize the firefighting in any given day. Um, mm-hmm. So, you know, I think for, for myself, you know, over the years, what I have learned to do is, is just put a little more structure in my day. I have some, some part of my day which is just blocked off so that I can... Um, think and do some things that are a little more forward-looking there's parts of my day that are you know about managing my team um and then there's you know parts of my day where it's kind of free season and people come up to me and i'm you know fighting fires and and yeah it's it, that that kind of thing I'll, I'll tell you my favorite part of my day is anytime i'm dealing with uh, i'm working with our with our clients um I, I i love nothing more than to go visit our clients and and you know learn about what they do and and how they do it and what's on their mind. Nice. You gotta gotta love that thinking time though, that executive time. <laughs> <laughs> My- um, I, I guess you use it more effectively. <laughs> it seems out of it than watching TV. Yeah. <laughs> um, so so one of the things I noticed about your story, which I found really interesting and real and it resonated with me, um, was you know before before you officially kind of started Curulate, you were actually working on a different startup, which you yeah. decided. Uh, to stop pursuing along with your team, which I, as, as I, as, 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 you know, as the audience knows, I know is, is a very tough decision. No questions asked, uh, about that. You know, it's, it's always very difficult to, to decide to stop pursuing, uh, something you believed in that would work. And, and from what I understand, like you're, you, you, you were going to give the money back, the remaining money back to your investors. And they're like saying, they said something along the lines of, yeah, we invested in you guys. So just figure it out, you know? 
See, see what you can do. Is that, is that a true story? Yeah, that's, I mean, more or less, that's exactly what happened. So my co-founder, Nick, and I, um, you know, when we, we first got funded, it was for a very different business. It was a business called Storably. Storably was uh, essentially Airbnb for parking and storage. This was back in 2011. <clears throat> Airbnb had just raised a ton of money. A lot of people on Sand Hill Road thought that they had missed out on Airbnb. And, you know, these two guys come up and, you know, knock on the doors of, of you know, a handful of VCs on, on Sand Hill Road. And we show up with this idea of Airbnb for parking and storage. And everybody thought, well, this is going to be the next big thing. Um, and it turns out it wasn't, um, unfortunately. <laughs> and so, uh, or you know, fortunately, depending on how you look at it, I guess. Well, yeah, no, no. Look, <laughs> I mean, you know, yes, it, it gave us um, it, it gave us the motivation to go start something else. But but you know, about three months into it, uh, three or four months into it, we had we had launched. Um, we had gotten a lot of press, uh, but we were not getting we were not getting traffic. We were not getting conversions. We were I mean, it was just it was a mess. And we were doing a number of things to try to, you know, improve the metrics. And um, we, we were telling our investors, like, look, this thing is just not working. What kind of what kind of metrics are you going to need to see to, to, to invest further in us? And they, they threw some numbers out at us. And it was a simple math problem. The, at the speed at which our metrics were increasing versus the speed at which we were burning cash, these two lines were not going to intersect. We were going right, to run right. out of cash before we ever got to the, to the numbers that investors needed to invest again. And so it was actually a pretty simple decision at that point to say, we got to stop. We got to stop the burn. We got to stop what we're doing here. Um, and so we, as you mentioned, we, we actually offered the, our investors their money back and, and said, you know, uh, most of your money is still here. Um, take it. And they said no. And they said, go figure out which, you know, we, we, to your point, you know, we invested in you and go figure it out. Uh, except they, they said, go figure it out in 30 days, which, you know, <laughs> as any entrepreneur knows, that's, that's a, it's pretty tough to find your life's passion in 30 days. Um, and, and so over the next 30 days, we came up with 70 different ideas. Uh, Nick uh, is pretty amazing. He built seven of these things. Um, and, uh, and ultimately, we, we launched Curalite, and um, it's been a really great ride. Just curious, talk, can you talk a little bit more in terms of like what was, what, was, what was the problem that you guys were facing in terms of getting traction? Like what, what, what were yeah. people not buying into? Yeah, so, so you know, it's interesting. There's a lot of companies that are trying to disrupt the storage space, the storage industry, and, and now you're starting to see some real success. Clutter just raised a ton of money. Mm -hmm. um, but, but what, you know, the, the ones where we're seeing success, what they're really, uh, what they've really innovated on is the last mile, the logistics from, you know, getting the stuff from your house to a storage facility itself. What we were doing was different, though. What we were doing was turning your neighbor's house into a storage facility, right? And so it, we were dealing with non-traditional storage spaces um, and kind of this idea of, you know, a community sharing sort of, uh, sort of concept that Airbnb had popularized. And I think w what we found was on the storage side, so first of all, we were doing storage and parking. On the storage side, the, the, the challenge that we found was people don't have the, the the things that people were storing uh, or wanted to store didn't have a high monetary value but it had a very high emotional value and they were very uneasy about storing their things in a stranger's house versus a facility which you know nobody else would be around it it would be under lock and key and they felt like their stuff was safe and so there was a safety aspect there about their stuff which we found really funny because we were like, you know, you, you'll, you're willing to put your person in somebody else's house, but not your stuff. Mm -hmm. And that was a really interesting learning for us. And then on the parking side, um, you know, the parking problem is a uniquely urban problem. And frankly, if you have a parking space in an urban environment, you are paying a premium for the space that you're living in. And that means you probably have a vehicle. And so, the price point at which people were willing to for, uh, forego their parking space uh, basically approached commercial rates. And so at that point, it didn't really make a lot of sense for people to, uh, they weren't really getting a deal. So 
you know, the, 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 it was it was just really interesting supply demand, um, you know, scenarios um, on both sides, and you know, we just couldn't get it. We couldn't get the economics to work. We couldn't get them. The, we couldn't get the marketplace to match properly. Gotcha. I mean, that makes sense. And also, I mean, I, coming out from like another uh, safety of the items perspective, you know, most of these most of these places that store that are just like you know, like U-Haul or whatever. You know they have all those storage places. Yes. Um, they're all. They're all. They also have a lot of uh, security mechanisms or safety mechanisms in place for like fires, things totally. like that. Totally. Uh, yeah. But I, I get that. That 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 that's an interesting. You know, it's an interesting problem to try and solve. I think that. You know, uh, as 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 I guess you found out that particular approach to it. Uh, you know, may you know, clearly didn't work out. Um, but there are other ways to kind of handle it. Uh, so. Let's let's talk a little. Let's talk. Let's talk about Curelate now, which is what I really wanted to talk about. Sure. Um, so you started the company uh, in 2011. Uh, that's that's a long time ago at this at this point. <laughs> <laughs> well, how, what is what has changed uh, at the company uh, in these years? Sure. Yeah. So so you know, as you mentioned, we started late 2011, um, kind of out of the ashes of of Storably. We didn't really launch until the middle of 2012. Um, it took some time to, to actually, you know, build it. Now, the early days of Curelate uh, were, were actually really simple. Um, it was a Pinterest analytics company. Um, we, in late 2011, saw the emergence of Pinterest. Uh, it was growing really, really fast. And uh, we, you know, had a pretty simple idea. We said, well, before brands can really take advantage of Pinterest, they're going to need to be able to measure it. There were no measurement tools. So we said, we'll build it. Now, what we built was not necessarily condoned by Pinterest, but, you know, we didn't really have a lot to lose <laughs> at the time because um, we were, you know, kind of already on the, uh, you know, we, 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 we had the ability to take a bet, a bet on something. And so, um, so we built this thing and uh, we had no idea if the market wanted it, but kind of put it out there and we launched this little beta and we said, uh, we're only going to allow 10 companies in on our beta, you know, to kind of like make it seem like supply was super limited um, and create some urgency. Mm -hmm. By the time our, well, you know, it worked. And so by the time mm -hmm. our beta ended, we had 150 brands working with us. And it was nuts, right? Like we had, you know, you know, remember, like we had just failed pretty hard. Like we had just, <laughs> you know, and all of a sudden from that to this other side where brands were like banging down the doors going, hey, can we be in on this and, and we want to work with you and all this stuff. So it, it was a pretty cool start and um, so much so that we, we didn't really know how to price it in the beginning and we had brands coming to us and saying, uh, could you raise your prices? You're going to go out of business, right? Like, Yeah, that's all. You know what? I've talked to so many other founders, including myself. I haven't talked to myself, but I, I, I've been in my head. Uh, um, pricing is always one of the most difficult things for founders to do. And I've had, I have a bunch of different stories on that, but go it's ahead. Awful. Yes. It's awful. It's really, really hard. Um, but anyway, so, so that's where we got our start. And, you know, I think along the way, we really got to know uh, a lot of the social media community managers, the social media managers at these various organizations. And I think we, we developed a great deal of empathy for, for who they were, what they were doing, um, what their you know, days looked like. But one of the, the things that we really, that really struck us was these people were playing such a vital role at these organizations, but they were frankly underappreciated. And we really wanted to see these people become more successful. We were like, these, they're incredibly creative. They're the, they're the ambassadors of the kinds of people um, that were going to be the future customers of all of these huge brands and, and retailers. Um, but they often didn't really get a seat at the table. And we had this hypothesis that one of the reasons that uh, that, that that was happening was that the metrics that they could point to were kind of vanity metrics in a in a way, and and they were metrics that um, you know dealt a lot with things like likes and follows, mm -hmm. and and we said, look, you know, ultimately, as a marketer, you need to be able to point to value, and and how can we help you drive more hard dollar value for the work that you're doing, and and that that really became the basis of 
how we um, evolve the platform. And so what we really wanted to do was um, enable the social media marketer to talk uh, to talk more about the dollars they were they were generating for their businesses. The the way we did that, and I it was what was really interesting was the same time social was rising, e-commerce was rising, and we recognized that we needed to build a bridge between social and e-commerce. That's why we call ourselves a social commerce company. And if we could build that bridge, well, we could make it possible for the social media person to take credit for a whole bunch of things they were they were doing to drive e-commerce. That was, you know, that was really the, the big evolution in our business. And, 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 it, and it's been great because now, you know, what we're able to do is, um, you know, help social media people act more like performance marketers. Makes sense. I mean, I think one, uh, one of the things I, I guess you guys focus on now um, a lot is, is probably Instagram, right? How, uh, how, is that correct or am I off? Yeah, we do a lot with Instagram. We still do a lot with, with, um, with, with Pinterest. Um, you know, the, the sort of connective tissue behind everything that we do is uh, they're all highly visual platforms, right? Like that was the big insight we had when we first started was that there was this fundamental shift happening in consumer behavior, a shift from communicating in, with words to communicating in pictures and now, you know, now video. Um, and so we wanted, and that, that's always been at the heart of everything we do. It's always about visual content. Mm -hmm. So, so as, as a brand, like uh, from, from, from a 30,000 foot view, from what you guys can see, your your analytics and things, what's performing better? Like for for these brands, is Instagram working really well? Is Pinterest working really well? Are they is one better than the other? Worse, you know. Um, I, you know it's for, we don't. We, we we tend to counsel brands to not think as much about one or the other, um, because foundationally, as a brand, you don't get to control where your audiences hang out and. Um, that's an and, important point. I, I, I just want to emphasize that that is a hundred percent true. <laughs> you know, and I think, I think that's, it's something that we've been trying to counsel brands on for years and, and, you know, ultimately brands need to go where consumers go and the consumers today hang out on a, on a handful of, of, you know, major platforms and there's some, you know, new emerging ones as well. Uh, and, and so as a brand, you have a responsibility to meet the consumer where they are. And so it's sort of insufficient to go, well, I'm going to just only be on, you know, Instagram or I'm only going to be on Pinterest. Now, if your audience isn't, isn't there, that's, that's a different story. But, but, you know, if they are, you have an obligation to meet them there and to understand how to engage with them there. Um, different platforms have different, uh, you know, functionality and, and different things you can, you can sort of take advantage of. Um, but for us, it's a lot less about, uh, the the platform and and it's much more you know or I should say a lot less about the channel um, it's a lot more for us about the content and how do you harvest all of that content so it, let's say I'm a brand and my audience is actually both on Instagram and Pinterest or maybe any platform but let's just focus on those two for now what should I be doing uh, to ensure that I'm getting the most out of that platform and I'm not leaving money on the table. Yeah, so to me, look, the, the number one thing you got to do is um, hold yourself to a higher standard than vanity metrics. Um, it, you know, we we work with a wide range of brands and retailers, and um, we work with you know your traditional uh, le legacy bricks and mortar companies, and then we work with with this whole new era of direct to consumer brands, companies that that uh, the digitally native brands, the ones that have you know started life online. And particularly with that latter category, one of the things I've been most impressed with is the entire organization is set up around metrics. And, and they really understand at a very uh, you know, deep level what it takes to acquire and retain a customer. And they understand that throughout the entire funnel. And so when we talk to those sorts of organizations, um, you know, they care about engagement metrics like, you know, likes and follows. But, but foundationally what they're asking themselves is, how is this 
building the funnel and then how is this converting and what is this going to cost and is that economically profitable for us and you know social media folks they sit at the top of that funnel but i think for a lot of folks you know particularly in some of the larger organizations um the the, the social media folks are not brought into um that discussion about acquisition and and so uh they're kind of siloed off and i think what, what you find is if, if first and foremost you go look i know my work is contributing to customer acquisition and i can now point to the metrics that al allow me to understand that it just aligns performance throughout the organization so that's you know my, my my first sort of tip there the second thing i would say is you've got to treat social not just as a channel but as a source of content um, I think a lot of brands and retailers are very enamored by the billions of people that are on social. Great for reach. But the byproduct of being on social, uh, the currency of social, is content. You, you can't be on social without generating content to put there. Not just as a brand, but as an influencer, as a consumer. Um, you're constantly generating content. The question is, well, what can you do with all of this content? And I think that content is often overlooked, and yet it's an incredibly powerful source of driving sales. Um, and, 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 and all of the brands and retailers we work with are basically in the business of leveraging that content um, in their e-commerce environments and using it to improve their, their, um, their sales. Um, and then, you know, the, the other thing I would say is uh, you've got to, you know, you've got to spend money to make money. Um, You've got all of these brands today that uh, were, that are starting online. Companies like Shopify, Big Commerce, etc., have made it just incredibly cheap to to, to launch your e-commerce shop. And so what they've demonstrated is that the cost of starting an e-commerce store is no longer the technology; it's entirely the marketing. But I think oftentimes people don't think about that side of it and they they go well if i just start my e-commerce shop surely people will just buy from me uh and and it doesn't work that way right you unfortunately have, it doesn't, nothing unfortunately, works that way really. it did, but unfortunately it doesn't <laughs> and, and i think people go well i'm going to start my eat my shopify shop and then i'm going to you know establish a social media handle on instagram or pinterest or whatever and you know uh, I'll just grow a following and then of course they'll just buy from me. Well, it just, unfortunately it just doesn't work that way. And, and you almost, you will have to invest in paid media. You will have to invest in influencers. You will have to do the things that marketers do to develop an audience. There's no way around it. And I think unless you're committed to doing that, it's going to be very difficult for you to leverage these platforms and build a viable business. Yeah, 100% agree with you on that. Uh, my my wife launched an e-commerce store, and she she did all of these things that you're mentioning, and that led to uh, a big part of the you know of the success that she had. Had she not done any of that, she wouldn't have she would have not made any money from it. <laughs> it was that I mean it's it's just it's that important because if you just expect people to come to you, it's like if they like the old adage if you if they build you know if you build it they will right. come. That that's just that's just not true. Um, yeah. there's, there's so many other options out there, right? That you know that people know about. If they don't know about you, they're not going to come to you. Right. I mean, look, look. You know, this is not like opening uh, a store in the mall when people actually went to malls, right? Like, you, you know, you could open a store in the mall and just take advantage of all the foot traffic walking by. But like, that's not. Nah, there's seven hundred thousand merchants on on Shopify. Like. Where is the foot traffic coming from? You got to get right. them to 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 you, right? And 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 you can't do that without without putting some money to work. Um, and and so you know, I think uh, that that's something that often I, we see this a lot. You know, I see every single um, every single customer that that uh, um, puts in a lead form at Curly. I actually see them because I'm really curious to know who's coming to, to talk to us. And I see this a lot, and, it, and, it, and, and you see people who fill out these forms and they go, I just want to increase my sales on Instagram. And you realize it's a lot of, of, of people who have, 
you know, just started and they, they got their Shopify shop and they went and they put their Instagram handle together and, but they, they're just not investing and they're desperately looking for people to show up at their, you know, at their, their store. Um, but they're, they're under resourced to get that. And, and it's, you know, it's something I really want to help people with. Mm-hmm. Yeah, definitely. I mean, one of the things that I know she, uh, that she invested in when she was doing her online boutique was she uh, she had this shoppable Instagram that was that was literally the link in her bio because that's really right. one of the only places you can have a link, and it was a super effective form of um, uh, of sales for her. But she had to put in a lot of work on Instagram, commenting on people's things, following people's things, working with influencers, um, you know, generating brand awareness for that her boutique was around, so people would actually when she posted, uh, you know, content showing off her items of clothing that that are accessories that people would want to buy them yeah totally i mean look you know what that's called that's called marketing and and like you know every company um before right had to do this and they knew they had to do this and and i think some people sort of figure that well you know if you can start a shop online for ten dollars a month or twenty dollars a month well you can bypass that when you can't right like you know i think the, the 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 brilliant thing about um, companies like Shopify and channels like Instagram are if you're a creative individual that um, you know wants to bring a product to market you've got a better shot than ever of being able to do it but you still got to figure out how to get in front of people and and that that element of marketing um, will will always exist and and the people who figure those things out tend to build companies um, you know, that grow and, and the folks who struggle with that, you know, unfortunately fall behind. Yeah. Let's, let, let's, let's talk more about influencers a little bit, because I think yeah. oftentimes many people associate influencer with someone who has a massive following online that you would have to spend a lot of money to work with. Uh, and, and I, and I think more recently, you know, the past uh, several months, maybe a year or so, that is, that is less and less actually been the case. There's something called micro influencers. Right, yep. who are a big part of social media strategies for brands? How 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 are some of the companies that you guys work with at Curate uh, helping helping leverage micro influencers? And I guess also, let's what is, what is a micro influencer? Yeah, so the micro influencer, um, you, you know, uh, sort of part of the world is is a it's really hot right now. A lot of brands and retailers are are leveraging them. You know, I think. The definition of what a micro-influencer varies by organization. We tend to think of them as generally somebody between maybe maybe 5,000 followers to you know maybe 50. But somebody, other people have de- different definitions. There's not a there's not necessarily a hard and fast rule around it. Um, but but they tend not to be your celebrities, right? They tend to be folks with a more modest following. Um, where people follow them first and foremost because of their point of view on something specific. They might be, um, they might have a great, you know, style element to them around fashion. They may be a, you know, have a home decor uh, perspective on a very specific type of home decor, right? And they tend to just be very creative aesthetically they tend to have uh, sort of deep domain expertise in something specific and um, and they tend to have a, a, a really uh, compelling voice to a specific audience and people follow them for those things uh, as opposed to following a celebrity because they're famous right and the, and what that tends to generate then is a very high engagement rate so it is not uncommon at all to see the engagement rates with uh, a micro influencer uh, exceed five to ten percent, and that's why things that's you know as a brand that's really interesting. Well, and so the question is why? Well, if you think about advertising um, and influencers, in many ways influencers are uh, a way for brands to expand reach. So a brand will work with a micro-influencer to get the word out about the brand in various ways. Well, theoretically, a brand could do the same thing with an ad. You know, they could, in theory, run lots and lots and lots of ads to get the word out too. But if you look at the engagement rates that brands get with influencers, 
they far exceed the engagement rates that they get with ads. And it often turns out that the influencers are way cheaper. And so one of the reasons brands are working with influencers is to circumvent um, traditional advertising. It's a, it, in many cases, can be a more efficient uh, method of effectively advertising, of, of generating reach and awareness. So that's you know one uh, aspect. There's of course a sales aspect. You know we actually had a um, uh, an intern here uh, who was in high school, and after he finished up at, at Curalate, he went off and started a company uh, called Kettle and Fire. It's a bone broth company, and uh, he had this insight that they needed to use influencers to get the word out. And he went to a bunch of paleo uh, influencers. He, he recognized that bone broth would be perfect for folks who um, espouse the virtues of paleo, the paleo diet. And he worked. He worked. Uh, he gave them a coupon code to talk about this, and and you know uh, they shared that coupon code. And he generated a tremendous amount of sales um, from influencers uh, talking about his uh, you know his product. Another way we're seeing people use influencers, um, and I would say this tends to be the smaller influencers um, on that micro-influencer scale, is for generating reviews. And I, I think this one um, it feels a little more questionable if you ask me, uh, but we are seeing brands supplying products to smaller influencers in exchange for those people using the product and putting a review on a review site. So that might be on the brand's website, it might be on Amazon, um, but they then review the product. I, I think it's a little questionable mainly because those, those influencers will tend to give the product a high review because mm -hmm. they'll want to continue to get products in the future. Um, so, uh, and, and there's nothing in the review that indicates that the influencer got this product you know, for free. So I think that's an you know, but it, but we are seeing that happening out there. Um, and then the fourth reason we're we're seeing brands work with influencers is to generate content. You know, I think again this this theme that at the end of the day, all of these influencers uh, are creating really amazing content for the products that they're receiving. That content often goes under leveraged, but the really smart brands are going, hey, that content is super compelling. How do we use that content? Um, in in lots of places and get more leverage out of the, the work we're doing with these influencers. Right. No, absolutely. And and I guess one of the other things you, you had just mentioned in terms of influencers receiving product and doing reviews, is that is that at all different than let's say user generated content or, or does that fall in the same category? I mean I think I think there's a, a little bit of a difference. I think there's um, I think there's uh, I think it's one thing for you know you or I to go to our favorite brand and buy something that you know we were in the market for, and then you know we might might go back and we we might review that product because we we had a great experience with it or we didn't. I think it's another thing when we sign up with a brand to say, um, hey, I want to be your brand ambassador. Um, because I want, you know, I want a, you know, free, a free sweater or whatever. Right, maybe. right. Um, I didn't pay for that product. Sure, I might have worn that product, uh, tested it out. Um, but I'm being asked explicitly to offer up a review for something that I didn't pay for. Now, yes, it, it leg legitimately, I, I may have, you know, been given a 100% off coupon code to get that product from your website, so it looks like a verified purchase. Uh, legitimately, I may have worn this thing and tried this thing on, but I do think you have to wonder if about the authenticity of that review. You've got to wonder about the motivations behind it. Um, I often wonder if that person leaves a bad review about their experience will they be invited back to get more free products? Mm -hmm. Right. Yeah. And so, and, and so, you know, I think and the, the real issue there is the end consumer has no idea that that, that that's what happened behind the scenes. 
right? right? I'm pretty reliant. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. You know, and, and so, and so, you know, I think that's, that's an area of the micro influencer space that will need some addressing, uh, you know, in, in the not too distant future. Yeah, I know. I know. One of the things my wife did she she didn't she didn't actually uh, provide she provided products for not for review just for for influencers to you know to talk about on their own platforms not on not on hers. But what she did do was use um, her custom allow her customers to leave reviews for the products they had bought in exchange for a coupon code for like what twenty percent off or something their next purchase, uh, which which she found to be pretty effective in terms yeah. of getting reviews because those are those are super valuable especially if they're real customers oh totally and i think that's a totally legit way to go about it right it's it's um you know i think i think to somebody who actually bought your product giving them an incentive to um talk about it uh and and essentially no strings attached right like hey here's 10 percent off 20 percent off on your next purchase if you if you leave a review it's not like, hey, you have to leave a five-star review to get this twenty percent off, right? Right, exactly. Uh, and so, I think that makes—I mean, it makes a ton of sense. And, and reviews matter. I mean, reviews matter to, um, you know, to uh, to conversions. Often, in fact, it's it's really cool if you see a lot of these these direct-to-consumer digitally native brands. Um, you'll often see a lot of their ads uh, just talk about how many five-star reviews they got. Like, you know, when they're trying to break through mm-hmm. and can. People to um, try a brand they've never tried. That will be oftentimes the the headline. You know, we got over a thousand five star reviews on this thing. Um, and so, you know, look, there's a there's a tremendous um, power in that social proof. When we think about user generated content, though, um, we think of it as a, a distinct from reviews. Um, specifically, the the content we're really interested in is the kind of content people are creating for social when they're talking about a product that they may have tried. Now that might be an influencer, it might be a consumer. We, we, it's less important who created it. It's more important that there are just really creative voices on social and some of these folks create beautiful content, really compelling content. And you take something like a fashion item, a sweater for example, if you're a big brand, you know, you got your stylist and they style that sweater in a really specific way and they take a photo of it and they post it to Instagram and it might look good. But the real power in all of this additional content is the creativity associated with it. All of a sudden somebody takes that same sweater and styles it in a completely different way than what the brand had in mind. and all of a sudden people go, oh wow, I had no idea I could wear this thing that way. I have something like that at home, right? And, and that creativity, that diversity of the, create, of the creative voice is really powerful. And, and we see that what it does for, for brands is it increases their conversion rate substantially. And it also increases the number of products people buy when they buy. And those are those are uh, you know two things that are really hard to do online. Yeah, I mean it's 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 funny because if you if you think about like what is the internet good for? It's good for creativity. I mean, like you know if you just look at you know for one of the recent examples that just popped into my head was uh, I don't know if you if you if you're a fan of Reddit or if you follow it, but this was also written about other places. So someone made a painting. And then a bunch of other people, and then and then someone else painted them in the painting, right? And, and like it just it just kept going, and they had like different branches of it, and it was it was insanely, like only on the internet could this happen type of thing. Yeah, and, and just goes to show how creative people can be, uh, and there's not you know there's not just one way to do something or to look at something or to use something. Absolutely, I think, and I think that's what makes like. These influ- these micro influencers and influencers and just people in general who buy products and want to share them, uh, what you know what they bought, uh, it just brings a whole new level to the game. And I think as a brand, it's super important for you to be able to understand that. Sometimes you won't have all the all the control that you maybe once had if you're a long you know a long time existing brand, but that's not necessarily a bad thing. No, no, I mean I think. You know, harvesting the creativity of the crowd is a really 
it, it, it is a really positive thing for for most brands and retailers. Um, you know, and 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 we, we look, we see it. I mean, we see it with the brands and retailers we work with. They really achieve. They can achieve some really great things. But you know, you're right. Your your point about the the creativity of the internet is is spot on. Um, it's actually why I love this the this um, kind of more emerging uh, network called TikTok. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, it's it sort of made me fall in love with the internet's <laughs> creativity again. It's it's just it's like mind blowing some of the stuff people come up with on there. Talk to me a little bit about TikTok because I am so far out of loop on this stuff. Let's say <laughs> you got to explain to me what this is. I've heard all about so, it, but I really don't know what it is. Yeah, so I kind of like I, you know, look, I, I I can't say I'm like super ahead of the curve either. But I fell <laughs> into TikTok about I don't know four or five months ago. Um, it's it, it's a it's a fifteen second looping video. Uh, you know, app and uh, it's connected with music and you get into this thing and you're immediately served up content. Doesn't mean you don't have to follow anybody. You can just, just download it and you get in there and immediately content starts appearing. And it is just incredibly creative, incredibly addictive, bite-sized content. And um, it, you, you, you very quickly find that, you know, 20 minutes goes by. Um, <laughs> they've got, you know, they've, they've got literally hundreds of millions of, of users already. They started out of China. So I think that's why, you know, to some extent, uh, uh, folks in the United States are just starting to hear about it. But they started out of China. They, they, they grew really fast. Um, and then they've, you know, been making inroads, uh, you know, into the United States and, and um, doing, they're doing really well. They're growing really fast and, and brands are starting to pay attention to it and starting to, you know, try things out there. And, and um, you know, it's, 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 it's a very video centric or it's an entirely video centric platform that uh, just inc- just incredible creativity on that platform. Do do you have any examples of maybe of some of your customers who who are using TikTok and how they've used it so far or Yeah, you know, some of our we, we don't do anything specifically with Curate at, at Curate with TikTok right now, okay. so we pro- we do have brands that are doing things with TikTok, they're not doing it via Curate. Um Guess uh, the uh, you know denim uh, company um, did some pretty pioneering work with with TikTok um, and uh, you know we work with them as well. But uh, you know there's a number of we've seen a number of our brands um, running experiments on on TikTok and uh, you know then brands we don't work with also doing some really cool things on TikTok. So you know you're seeing you're seeing marketers put trial balloons out there and see, see what happens and, um, tends to be what we've seen with all the, you know, emerging networks. Whenever they, they first start to emerge, we see marketers try things, see kind of how people react and then they start to get more and more serious about it over time. Yeah. So, so how long, how long, uh, if, if, uh, do you think until Curalate starts, uh, you know, integrating TikTok into uh, the platform? (laughs) <laughs> um, well, you know, the, the precursor for a lot of that is that um, the platforms themselves have to uh, make, have to embrace the developer ecosystem. Mm-hmm. That, that tends to take a little while in our experience. Um, you know, almost all of the platforms first start with the consumer experience, and the developer ecosystem <clears throat> tends to be much later on the roadmap. Um, and it almost always first starts with making it easier for developers to help brands run ads. So that's where it tends to start. Um, and then the, the management of the brand experience itself uh, tends to come later, um, much to the sort of frustration of brands. Yes. <laughs> Last question before we get to the lightning round here. Sure. We, you hinted at this a little bit earlier, the editorialization of e-commerce. Yes. Uh, something definitely we're seeing a lot more of. Whereas retailers, e-commerce uh, companies are are starting to act more like publishers. I mean, I think this is, in a way, this is kind of at the the you know the the nitty gritty of like of everything in terms of posting on Instagram and like and and Pinterest. But it's it's also about you know creating content on your own platform. If you, whether you have a, a blog or you or you contribute in some way, uh, other way, uh, they're hiring editors to create this content. What are uh, you know what are, what are some of the upsides to doing this and 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 how can a brand start doing this if they're not doing it already yeah so 
you know, the core, the core reason this whole thing is happening is uh, shopping is both about inspiration and intent. Now you can walk into a physical store and you can wander around the aisles and you can discover things you never knew you needed in your life. And that's why you end up walking out of the store with more things than you thought you were going to go, you know, <laughs> in. online, that's actually really hard. Online e-commerce is heavily optimized for intent. It's heavily optimized for people who already know, uh, you know, what they're, what, what they want to buy. And, and so you can walk up to an e-com site, you can type it in the search box within a few clicks, you're, you know, you've got your thing in your cart and you can check out. It's heavily optimized for that. The problem is that as people start shifting spend increasingly from store physical stores to online stores, we can't forget that shopping still has this inspiration component. We don't always shop with intent. Sometimes we're just looking to be inspired. And e-com does a pretty poor job of inspiring people. And so the smartest brands and retailers out there are all going, you know what? We have to figure out ways to drive inspiration on our site. If you look at Amazon, Amazon is super, super, super wedded to intent. And the opportunity that is created as a result you know, Amazon is going to do a great job of continuing to win the transaction for the, for the people who know what, they, what they're looking for. But a whole bunch of other retailers and brands right now are saying, you know what, we can, we can fight back on inspiration. If we can create an editorial experience on our site, we can create an environment that people just browse. And in the process of browsing, they uncover things that they never knew they needed, they never knew they wanted and it almost recreates this sort of store experience. It's frankly, that discovery problem is at the heart of the problem that we're trying to solve at Curalate. It's what we're partnering with our brands and retailers on. I'll give you two examples of, of brands and retailers that we think, or retailers that we think are doing an incredible job there. Um, Target and Best Buy. Target has something called Target Finds. I encourage people to go check it out. It is there's just this great experience of uh, you know, a, a big retailer creating this browse-worthy, curated experience that just consumes, you know, it makes you want to just click around and discover products. And it's, it's this really compelling experience. Um, and Best Buy is also uh, doing some really incredible things um, to inspire people on, on their site as well. And I think you're going to see more and more brands and retailers doing this, uh, this recognition that um, we've got to satisfy those moments when people are just looking to be inspired. It's a good point. I, I, I totally hear that loud and clear. And I think, you know, if, if you know, people uh, are always wondering, a lot of, you know, especially smaller uh, retailers and things like that always want to know how can we compete with Amazon, right? It's like it's it seems like they're like the big behemoth and they are. And how and what you know what's your in what what's the way to get you know to make inroads on that? And I think that's that's a, that's definitely one way that 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 can prove I think really fruitful for a lot of uh, for a lot of a uh, a lot of retailers because. Frankly, you know, Amazon doesn't do that. I mean, they what they'll do is, you know, they'll, the the most I've seen is the recommendations where they say, if you buy this, you you know, a lot of people pair this and this, right? Um, and that's pretty much the extent of their curating, if you will. Yeah, and the problem with a lot of those recommendations is they they have a very heavy recency bias. You know, I'll, really simple example when after uh, after our kids were born, uh, went on to Amazon and bought diapers. And everything I got recommended for like the next month was basically diaper related, baby related. And I was like, you know, look, there's more to me than, you know, than babies. And um, I'd love to see other recommendations. And, you know, but it's just heavily, heavily biased towards recent actions. And, and that's not what's – that's, you know, that actually reduces inspiration. Inspiration yeah. is about serendipity. It's about diversity. It's about uncovering things that – you, you know, it's about stumbling upon things. Um, it's not about showing me more of what I just bought. And, right. and I, think, I think that's where there's real opportunity for people who are not Amazon. It is about 
creating that inspiration layer and bringing that inspiration layer to e-com and you and content sits at the heart of creating um, that inspire those inspirational moments. Nice, I like it. So you've made it through uh, to the lightning round, which of course supported by Wix. You can create a professional website today at Wix.com. That's W-I-X.com. So Pooh, whenever you're ready, you let me know and we'll get started. All right, let's do it. All right, here we go. If you could time travel, where would you go? Oh my God. Um, <laughs> the moon. Okay. We could take that. I mean, in a different, in a different, we'll, you know, we'll travel, like... we'll travel to the future. Okay. Perfect. That works. That works. I, you know, I, you know, moon works, I guess I, Mars could also work, you know, but, uh, well, you, you'll go with moon. moon I'm trying cool. to keep it. I'm trying to keep it relatively near term. Yeah. So you can actually come back and like, you know, <laughs> a, a recent amount of time. Uh, okay. <laughs> if I you could only, <laughs> if you could only eat three foods for the rest of your life, what would they be? Steak. Okay. Bacon. <laughs> okay. And then a salad. Fair enough. I, I, I could uh, I could get behind that. Talking or texting? Texting. What is your preferred social network for personal use? Twitter. Cool. I'm a Twitter guy as well. Uh, last last one. Current number of unanswered emails in your inbox. I cannot answer that. I would. <laughs> I I can answer it, but I won't answer it. It's it's that bad, huh? It is. I don't believe in inbox zero, so let's just put, put it, it that way. That, that's one way to put it, right? <laughs> <laughs> well, Apu, it's been really great having you on. I really enjoyed our conversation. It, it's been. I think it's been a lot. A lot of things to think about, and also a lot of good things that we learned. If anyone wants to get in touch with you after listening to this, what's the best way for them to do that? Apu at Curolate.com. A-P-U at Curolate.com. Awesome. Well, it's been great having you on. I, I look forward to keeping in touch. Jeff, it was a pleasure. I look forward to staying in touch as well. Thanks for having me. Thanks for listening to Techie Bites. Stay tuned for more episodes every Tuesday with awesome interviews and conversations about technology and business. If you like what we're doing, please consider supporting the podcast at anchor.fm slash besttechie and or by leaving a rating and review on iTunes. Both ways help us greatly and are much appreciated. So thank you. Until next time, we'll see you. And remember, remember, take care of your computers.